Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. so excited to be back with you. Today we're going to be uh, jumping in, and uh, I just felt as I was in prayer uh, over these last eight weeks, one of the, the, the themes that just started to just really uh, come alive was uh, when, I, when I started reading 1 John again. And, uh, and that letter of First John, just so, there were so many rich truths that jumped out. I just began to feel like the Lord wanted us to, to jump into that series a little bit and just study through the book of First John. So that's what we're going to do over the next uh, several weeks. We're going to jump in and we're going to be in the book of First John. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open it up there. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're only going to take the introduction uh, this morning for that. But when I say the words, once upon a time, what comes to your mind? Once upon a time, for me, I think of a story, right? As a children, those words were used to, to open up our minds to the exciting world of, of make-believe, right? Where, where there were all kinds of dreams that, that we had and the happily ever afters and the wonder of it all and what it would be and, and, uh, and helped us forget about any of the problems that we had during childhood. But then, somehow, somewhere along the line, as we began to mature and grow up a little bit, pow, you turn the corner and one day, once upon a time, it's just the things of kids stuff. And, uh, and you discover that life is more of a battleground than a playground. Anybody ever been there before? You know what I'm talking about, right? Fairy tales are no longer meaningful and it leaves us wanting and desiring something real. And the search for something real is not anything that is new. It's been going on since the very beginning of time. Men and women have, have looked for satisfaction in various places like wealth and thrills and conquest and power and, and, and learning and even religion. Now, let me just say that not all of those things in and of themselves are particularly wrong, but in and of themselves, they're not truly deeply lasting and satisfying. In fact, they, wanting something real and finding something real are two very different things. Different things, like a child who, who, who eats cotton candy hoping to taste something meaningful and real only to find that at the end their mouth is left empty. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, what is in cotton candy? Like when you eat it, you know, it shows something, but when you put it in your mouth, it's like gone. And that's oftentimes what happens. We, we search for things that are real. We're, we're told this will make you happy. We're told this will bring you satisfaction. We're told this will lead to life and lead you to feeling a sense of life. Only at times in life to taste what seems sweet in the beginning, only to find that it leaves us feeling empty. Right? The waste, priceless years on empty substitutes for what is truly real. And this is where John's letter comes in. You see, the book of 1 John was written centuries ago by uh, one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, there are many different thoughts on this, but most scholars believe that the disciple who wrote the gospel of John, the one who walked with Jesus, whose brother was James and friends in the fishing business was, was Peter and Andrew uh, called, the one that, 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 that was called the beloved, that is the one who is writing this particular letter. And, and he deals with this theme of the life that is real. 
In fact, not only a life that is real, but this following Jesus, this area of Christianity. What is, what is real faith? What is it? What is the realness? What is true Christianity all about? And that's why it's important for us to study this letter, because this letter helps us to really see and understand what Christianity is really all about. It's going to cut through all the, the clutter, and it's going to get to the heart of the matter. And what does it mean to be a Christian? And how do we make sure that, that we've got the real thing, that the faith that we have is real? How do we, how do we make things? Because the worst thing in the world is to, is to be sitting here Sunday after Sunday, week after week, go through our, our lives believing in something or following something only to find at the end that it's not really real, Right? That it's a counterfeit faith. And so that's what John does. In fact, the Apostle John here spent years. He wrote, as I mentioned, the, the Gospel of, uh, of John, uh, an account of Jesus' life. He also became the pastor. I don't know if you realize this. He became the pastor in the, in the area, the church of Ephesus, and in the area of Ephesus. And if you want to know about the churches in that area, it's where modern-day Turkey is at today. In fact, when he uh, had, had received his revelation, that's the last book of the Bible, revelation uh, from, from Jesus, the letters in, in, John, or in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, those letters are circulated uh, to the church in Ephesus and the church in Laodicea and Smyrna and Sardis and Thyatira, and I know I'm going to leave some out, Pergamum. And, and, and those letters are in this particular area. So the same type of area, this is where this letter is circulating. And as the gospel was going forth, and as a proclamation of who Jesus was, and this, this, this new sect called the Way, or Christianity, was, was coming out, there were also others that had different uh, feelings and, and were teaching different thoughts about Christianity, different variations, different counterfeits to what it was. And so John is writing his letter to these churches because he wants them to begin to know what it is to have a confidence that our faith is true and real. How many would like that confidence that our faith is true and real? That's why it's important for us to, 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 to study this book. And so let me share with you a couple of prayers that I've had for you. As I've been praying through this message and, 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 and really saying, Lord, with this series, Lord, what do, I, what do I want for this church? What do I want for the people that are hearing this message? And so I want you to hear my pastor's heart right up front that I've got two prayers for you as we work ourselves through the book of 1 John and this letter together. The first is this, I, I want you to have a confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life. I want you to have a confidence in your faith and the hope of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's one of the purposes of this letter. 1 John 5, 13 talks about, John writes why he was writing this letter. And this is one of the purposes that he indicates he's writing this letter. And it says this, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. In fact, this was a theme of John. Not only in his letters here, but it was a theme even in his gospel. In fact, John 20, 31, he says this, these are written so that you may believe 
Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wants us to know that we can know Jesus Christ, that we can have confidence in our faith, hope in Jesus and eternal life. And that's what, what, what my, that is a prayer of mine for you is that you would come away with a confidence in your faith in knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, this phrase eternal life we're going to see is, is, is over and over again written in each of these letters. Over and over. In fact, the, the words knowing and perceiving are used almost 50 times. How many of you think that's an important theme? Over 50 times, right? John wanted men and women in the churches around him to know that they can be confident that they have eternal life. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that. Why? Because I believe that there are some of us, if we're truly honest, not in those conversations, you know, where you come into church and you put on a face and God bless you and praise you, brother, praise you, praise the Lord, brother, sister, how you doing? Oh, wonderful. I think that if we're truly honest in moments of, of true transparency, that there are times where we struggle and wonder, am I truly saved? Is, is Christianity real? Is there really something to this or am I wasting my time? Can I really have confidence that when I die, that, that there is an eternal life with Jesus Christ? Can I truly have that, that confidence? And I think at times, if we're, we're honest in those moments, we might, we might struggle with that. You see, in, in John's day, there were people that, that were struggling in this way. You know, I, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't know. I don't know. How do I, how do I know for sure? How do I know for sure? You know, I'm a Christian, but man, what, what happens when, I, when, I, when I'm not really obeying the Lord as I should? Does that, am I, am I still a, a Christian? What about evidence of love? People say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but when you look at their lives, there's no evidence of the love of Christ in their lives. Oftentimes, we might find that, that people are deceived. In, the, in, in, in this letter, and, and when he's writing, there were people who said they were Christians, and yet there was a part of their faith or, or some things that were happening where they were deceived a little bit. And my theory is, is that maybe perhaps uh, there is a little bit of deception that we struggle with. Things that we, that we think or that we, 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 we say, well, we heard it from somebody and, and somebody said this and that's how we believe that we have eternal life. And somebody said this and we might be struggling a little bit. With, with deception. There are all kinds of people, I think, uh, who say they're Christians. How many would agree with this? Who say they're Christians, but their life doesn't really show anything that the Bible says is a reflection of somebody who knows Jesus. Right? I think that's a real thing. I, th I think there are people that are self-deceived who, who think they have eternal life, but they get to the end of your life and you don't. And it's kind of like this. Uh, uh, you know, let me use this illustration. A counterfeit Christian is kind of like a counterfeit $10 bill. So if you have a counterfeit $10 bill, it looks like the real thing. Perhaps you have it and, and you think, you think it's genuine and real. You honestly, you're not trying to deceive anybody. You honestly think that, that the $10 bill that you have is real and, uh, and you think it's there, but it's a counterfeit $10 bill. So what do you do? You, you, you use it to pay for a tank of gas and then the gas station manager uses it to buy supplies. 
And the supplier uses that $10 bill, believing it's real, but it's counterfeit, to, to buy groceries. And then the grocer takes that $10 bill and bundles it with 49 other $10 bills, puts it in a bundle, takes it to the bank. And when he gets there, the, the banker says, you know, I'm sorry, but you don't have 50 $10 bills. You only have 49 because one of them is counterfeit. Eventually it gets called out, right? The $10 bill might have done a lot of good things along the way. It may have paid for a tank of gas or groceries or supplies and done a lot of good things along the way. But in the end, it was still found to be counterfeit. So it was pulled out of circulation. Similarly, there are many people who believe that they have a genuine faith, that they will have eternal life, that, that, they're, that they, they are believing the right thing. But the problem is, is because of deception, they might find like that $10 counterfeit bill that they get to the end of their life and they recognize that what they have believed in is counterfeit. Pulled out of circulation. Oh, but I did a lot of good things. But I did a lot of good works. Isn't that the way? Isn't that, isn't that how I'm supposed to get there? Right? And my prayer for you is, is that you would not get to the end of your life. Sitting in here week after week. Listening to these messages. But find that there was some deception in your faith. And you get to the end of your life only to discover what the people that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, 20, 22, and 23 found, a sobering reminder of reality. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ouch! Ouch! Talk about deception, Right? Each of us must ask ourselves honestly, am I a true child of God or am I a counterfeit Christian? Have I truly been born of God? Is there a confidence in my faith where I know for certain that I have eternal life through Christ Jesus? So I want to I want to I want to just kind of talk with you about that because I think that's one of John's purposes for this letter in 1 John 5, 13. He, he's saying uh, that you may know, that you may know. So we, we're going to go through this letter because I, my prayer, one of my prayers, my first prayer for you is, is that, that you would come away in this series, which means you got to be here each week, okay? Because we're going to build upon another, all right? That's my hook. You got to be here, all right? You got to make it a priority. You got to be here. That, that you, would, you would take the letter that John is writing, that we would take the letter, we would dive into it, and that we would come away at the end of this series with a confidence that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. That we'd know for sure. My second prayer is, I want you to experience God's everlasting love. I want you to experience his everlasting love. And I say the word experience on purpose. It's one thing to know about something it's one thing to know about someone. It's another thing to have experienced something. Both eternal life and know are common themes that we're going to see in the book of 1 John. But we're also going to see the book of the, the word love. And the word love is used almost 50 times in 100 or so verses, which means about every other verse is something about love. Every other verse. I think that's pretty important, right? 
I mean, even in this, even in this short little letter, 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16 both highlight that God is love. It's not something that God does. It's not just something that he does. It's who he is. It's the essence of his character and his nature. That the God that we serve is love. And I want you to experience God and his love. Because when you experience God, you experience love. When you experience God, you experience love. Now, when you come to church, you're going to hear, God loves you. I mean, you know, that's like a foundational thing. Like you come in, God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. We used to sing it as a kid. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Right? You all just want to keep singing it. Right? And we, we, we get that in our head, but sometimes we forget about it when it comes to our experience. It might be something that we know cerebrally. We read about his love. We hear about his love. Somebody says God loves you. But have you experienced his love? Have you experienced his love? Have you, have you truly experienced his love? Not just in your head, but in your heart. There's a difference about that. There's a difference in that. I mean, we, 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 we took a vacation out west. We didn't go to the Grand Canyon. Uh, we, we went and we saw the Badlands and we saw uh, Custer State Park. And, and we saw the Black Hills and, and, and Mount Rushmore. And, and there is one thing, there is one thing when I see a picture of it in a book. There's another thing when I actually get there and I experience it. Wow. So there, there are some things that you, you, you can see, you can read about. But it's something different when you experience it. And I want you to experience the Grand Canyon of God's love in this series. I want you to experience the Grand Canyon of his love. That not only would you know his love, but you would enjoy his love. Long for that, that relationship for you. I, I don't want you to just think, think of, of coming here as a, a religious ritual or going through the motions. But that when we come here, we meet with God. And not only here, but you can meet with God in your car and you can meet with God in your bedroom or in your living room, or you can meet with God in your office or at work or wherever you at, wherever you're at, you, you can meet with Jesus and you can experience his love. I want you to, I want you to know that. I want you to experience that because God's love isn't just initiated for us, but it's also, we're going to see in this letter, it is something that then overflows out of us that we share with others. It's something that shows up in our homes and in our marriages and in our friendships and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and with our kids. That's the kind of overflowing love that comes out of this, that when you experience the everlasting love of God, then it begins to overflow and it's seen as we begin to share it with others, as we share it with others. Now with the stage set, I'm going to give you two truths today, two truths in these first four verses of 1 John that I think are absolutely critical. Truth number one, Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. You say, pastor, this sounds so basic. Don't, don't get lost. Hang with me because I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something because there's a little bit of a, there's little shift that sometimes we make mentally when we think about eternal life. There's some shifts that we think sometimes that we can make, subtle shifts, and it makes all the difference in the world. Listen to how John opens this letter to the churches in the region of Ephesus. Listen to how he opens his letter. That which was from the beginning 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, this is key. I want you to, I want you to, the key to knowing. So one of the things I wanted you to know, one of my prayers, is that you would know and have confidence in eternal life. Listen, you, 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 you have to know that, that eternal life and Jesus are connected, deeply connected. Not just to know about him, but to know him. What's interesting in these verses is on the one hand, when John says this, he doesn't seem to be talking about a who. He doesn't seem to be talking about a person. He seems to be talking about some type of a concept. I mean, think about it. When he writes, he doesn't say he who is from the beginning. What does he say? That which is from the beginning. He doesn't say he whom you have heard. He says that which we have heard. John doesn't seem like he's talking about someone. He, think, he seems like he's talking about something, talking about a concept, the concept or the thought of eternal life, the word of life, that, not, not whom, yet, 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 as he keeps going, you can't stop there, but as he keeps going, he says this, we've seen it with our eyes and we physically touched it with our hands. How do you see a concept with your eyes? A concept is something you might perceive in your mind, but how do you see with your eyes? And you can't touch a concept. That's something that's in your head. You can't touch it. So he, all of a sudden, he's making a shift from, from something that is, that is thought of as a concept, something that is thought of as a teaching, something that is called a, a, as a religious understanding of eternal life. But then he moves into it, and he moves it to this thing that you, you can see and you can touch. That's what you do with, a, with, a, with an object or a person. And then we get to the end of verse 2 and he says, And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Again, sounds like a concept. But then he says, That which was the Father, that which was with the Father. What? That was with, with the Father. Wait a minute, with the Father. No, no, no. That's not, that's not a reference to a thing. That's a reference to a person. Because here, here's the thing. You can't separate eternal life in Jesus. You can't separate eternal life from Jesus. You can't do it. Eternal life is not just a concept. Eternal life is in the person and the person of Jesus Christ. The concept of eternal life cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is eternal life. And without Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Without Jesus, you don't have eternal life. That's, that's what's interesting in this, in this whole thing. Christianity is about a person, a real person who actually lived in history. Christianity is rooted in the dust and the dirt of history. Why is that important? Why, why would you say, why does that matter? Because if an actual man existed whose name was Jesus Christ, and if he actually walked the dusty roads of Judea and Galilee, and if people actually heard him preach, physically heard him preach, and saw him and touched him, then Christianity stands. If the historical person named Jesus Christ didn't exist, if he's just a myth that is made up by, by early Christians, if it's just a concept or just a teaching or, or just some kind of a, uh, something that, that, well, this is a good teaching like this other good teaching and you just pick whichever teaching you want to follow. If it's just a teaching, then Christianity is a waste of time. 
It's a waste of time. It might stir our hearts, but it's just a myth. It's just a a spiritual mysticism based upon something that's not a true reality. It is extremely important, though, for us to understand that Christianity is not a religious theory. And Christianity is not just about a good concept or a nice teaching or a concept about a good way to live your life as a nice moral person so that you can do good things. If that is the only thing about Christianity and that's what your view of Christianity is then you have made a subtle shift away from what the true reality of Christianity is. And that is that Christianity cannot be dismissed from the real historical person of Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus who lived and who, who is a real person who lived. I, I, read, a, I read a book uh, while I was on, on sabbatical called The Story of Reality by Gregory Kokel. And it was a fascinating book. I mean, a really, I, I, I didn't find it to be a difficult read, it, but it, it, there were some things just kind of blew my mind. Really good stuff. But this is what he writes. People who think Jesus never existed are simply not acquainted with the ample research done by secular historians that provide abundance, ev- abundant evidence for his life. The idea that Jesus did not exist at all is drivel and real historians know it. That is exactly what the gospel is all about. The gospel of John, when John wrote his gospel, it was all about the reality of this Jesus that he, that he touched. And this Jesus that he saw. And this Jesus that he heard. And this everlasting love in Jesus. And everlasting life. This, this eternal life that he witnessed and the experienced and that he had relationship with. That, that's what it's all about. In, 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 in John 1, 4, when John's introducing his, his book, he, he doesn't open by, by telling us a, 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 a narrative or a genealogy about Jesus. He doesn't open with his, birth, with his birth. He says this, in him was life. In him was life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he transitions in verse 4, and he says, and in him, in him, in a person, in him, right out the gate in the beginning, was life. You can't separate Jesus from eternal life. You can't separate it. Jesus himself didn't separate it. John 14, 6, this is what gets people so upset. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the, help me out, life. I am the life. And in John 17, 3, Jesus prayed this, and this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know God and they may know Jesus Christ. That they may know God and know Jesus Christ. If you want to have eternal life, you must have Jesus. You cannot have eternal life without Jesus. I know that's a bold claim when there's 7 billion people plus in the planet on the world and countless more throughout history before. That Jesus is the only hope. And that without Jesus, there is no eternal life. But friends, that is the message of the Bible. That's the message of Scripture. That's the message of Jesus. And if you are somebody who says, I'm a Christian, 
You can't separate your Christianity from Jesus. It's why we can't say that some other theory that is out there or some other teaching or some other concept or all these other roads or just other roads and stories and narratives. And if you believe in those, they all lead to eternal life. That's just impossible. It's impossible. Because for Christianity, eternal life is not about a teaching, and it's not about a concept, and it's not about a theory. It's about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is eternal life, is eternal life. First John 1, 2, the life was made manifest. He is the revelation of God to us. He was made manifest to us. Eternal life was made manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ, revealed by God, the author of life from the beginning. It echoes Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. You see, Jesus is the revelation of God who was in the beginning. And the Bible says that, that see, we can see who Jesus is. He's the one who was with the Father in the beginning before anything else was. See, that's the key. So John is warning these believers and he's warning us not to believe in false teaching that is out there, in false teachers that are out there and false teachers that are out there. You see, it wasn't just in the first century, uh, but, that, but it continued for subsequent centuries that there was a leader in the church. His name was Arius in the third century. He was a prominent proponent uh, of this position. He was trying to persuade people that, 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 that people in the church that Jesus was created by God the Father. Can I tell you, Jesus was not created by God the Father. Jesus is eternal. He is God. Therefore, Jesus, because he was created, you believe Jesus was created by God the Father. And some people think that he, we're coming up on Christmas here. They think that the incarnation, that when he, when he was born, that was the first Jesus ever, ever was. Jesus has always existed. Jesus was not created. And he didn't begin when he was, when he was conceived in, in, by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. That's just, that's just false. That's false teaching. But if you believe that he was created by God, then he can't be equal with God. And that's what many different religions believe. That's what the difference is. If you take a look at the Islamic faith, what they believe about Jesus is not that he was on equal playing field with God. If you believe, or you look at the Mormon uh, teaching, the Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that he's God. Jehovah Witness does not believe that Jesus is God. Friends, there's a lot of false teaching that is out there. And don't get deceived by it. Don't get deceived by it. And then God raised up a man by the name of uh, Athanasius, who was 40 years younger than Arius, to refute this teaching. And Athanasius was threatened multiple times. He stared down murderous intruders who would storm into the church where, where he was pastoring. And he stood before emperors who had the power to cut off his head. And those emperors then ended up sending him into exile five different times. Five different times. How do you keep getting sent into exile five different times? You keep coming back. You keep declaring truth. That's what he did. He kept coming back. He kept fighting for truth. He knew that this was the truth and the key to eternal life. That Jesus is the revelation of God. That he is God in human flesh. God in human flesh. And that, that's the point of 1 John. 
that God has come to us. He has been made manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And you cannot separate the concept or the thought or the teaching or whatever of eternal life from Jesus. You can't separate it. In Jesus is eternal life. I know I keep saying this over and over and over again because I want you to get it. Because unfortunately, many people have, have reduced Christianity down to a, a, a religious system of belief. In other words, a belief in a teaching or a belief in a concept or a belief in a theory that this is a good way to live my life. And so I, I believe most of the Bible, not all of it, most of the Bible, I pick and choose the things I like and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it just helps me to be a good person, helps me to live my life. And if I live my life as a good person and I, I live my life according to, you know, kind of some of the concepts that are in here, then I have eternal life. But the problem is, is that if you, if you, if you divorce Jesus Christ from the concept of eternal life, then you will find that you are like that counterfeit $10 bill at the end of the day. You'll do a lot of good things that the Bible says, but it's not good things that we do that the Bible says that lead to eternal life. Eternal life is when we encounter and when we know and when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That, that, that's, that's the only way to identify as a Christian because it, 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 a lot of people like moral teaching. But they want nothing to do with the fact that Jesus is God. They like his teaching, but they don't really know him and his person. And my fear is, again, there are many who find themselves at the end and, and they, they, they'll find themselves with this, this lack of reality. John Piper, I don't agree with all of his theology, but, but I do agree with this. He wrote this about the incarnation, and I love it. So I'm just going to read it because it's that good. About doctrine and teaching the truth about Jesus Christ being God in the flesh. And this is what he said. He said, many are willing to believe in Christ if, if he remains a merely spiritual reality. But when we preach that Christ has become a particular man in a particular place, issuing particular commands and dying on a particular cross, exposing the particular sins of our particular lives, then that preaching ceases to be acceptable for many. I don't think it's so much the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to, to stumble over the doctrine of incarnation. The stumbling block is that if this doctrine is true, then every single person in the world must obey his, this one particular Jewish man. That everything he says is law and everything he did is perfect and the particularity of his work and word flow out in history in the form of a particular inspired book that claims universal authority over every other book that's ever been written. This is the stumbling block. When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as a self-sufficient, uh, self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says that we're all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when God becomes a man, man ceases to become the measure of all things, and this man becomes the measure of all things. 
This man becomes the measure of all things. This is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of men and women. The incarnation is a, a, a violation of the Bill of Human Rights written by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's totalitarian. It's authoritarian. Imperialism. Uh, uh, Depotism. Usurpatism. Absolutism. Who does he think he is? He is God. It's one thing to believe in a concept, but it's another thing to submit ourselves to the true authority of the person, Jesus Christ. And yet the only way to eternal life is to submit, submit ourselves to his authority and recognize that his word holds authority over our hearts and over our lives and over our minds. Which means that he defines what true love is. And he defines what sin is. And it doesn't matter what we're feeling that day about a particular social issue where today this is wrong, but then this circumstance happens, so this is right. And we find ourselves with no absolute truth moving in and out and all over the place. The problem that we have is, is that we think we are God and we think we are right. And unfortunately, you might believe part of a teaching or think that this is a good thing. But if you divorce yourself from the very authority of Jesus Christ, you are deceived and do not have eternal life. Eternal life is found in submission to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior saying, I give you and love the Lord with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. And that I need his grace and mercy and truth number two, his everlasting love. You see, Jesus offers us everlasting love. The word love is all over first John, or is all over first John, but you'll notice it's not found in, in the first chapter. It's not found in, in these verses. We don't see love mentioned at all. And you say, well, how, do you, how can you come up with this as a, a point of your message, Pastor, that that, that that? Well, it doesn't mean that the love of God isn't here, right? Because when somebody loves you, what do they do? They don't just tell you. What do they do? They show you. They show you, right? They show you that they, they love you. You know, someone might frequently say they love you, but if their actions do the exact opposite in that sense... Then, then what do you say? Well, you don't really love me. Don't look at your spouse. Some of you have said that probably this week. You say you love me, but you don't, right? No, just kidding, right? But in order for love to be love, it must be made known. So let's read 1 John 1, 2 through 4. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard. So we proclaim also to you so that you too might have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. See the words fellowship here? We're going to get to that in a moment. We're writing these things that our joy may be complete. You see, eternal life was made manifest. It wasn't just something that God said, but it was something that God showed when Jesus Christ was revealed. When the person of Jesus was made manifest, so was his love made manifest. Again, we've seen it. We've heard it. We've touched it. And notice the word fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. We've heard it many, many times if you've been in church. And it, it, it's mentioned four times in chapter one. Twice we read it. And then we see it in verse six and we see it in verse seven. And it, it's the, this, this word koinonia to describe this intimate relationship. And it's oftentimes to describe a marriage relationship. And, and John said, we have a bond. We have an intimate relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Just like that. Talk about love, right? 
Talk about love. What? We're sinners, right? Every one of us. Can we just admit we're sinners in this room? We're going to get to sin next week. By the way, we're going to talk about sin next week. So if you're offended by the word sin, then you might not want to come because we're going to talk about sin next week. We can't get through 1 John and not talk about sin. All right. I know that's a dirty three-letter word today because we want to we want to make up other names for sin, but it's sin. Okay. So let's talk about sin. We're going to talk about that. That's a little extra here. But, but what, he, what he says is that's the beauty of this passage is that God has not left us alone or separated. He was made manifest to us and we have seen it and we have heard it and we have touched him. We have seen him. We have, we have touched him. We have heard him. We have seen him. And, and, and he's the crucified savior who, who has come. And we know what love is. How do we know what love is? Because later on, we're going to read in 1 John three sixteen that that by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us, that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want to talk about love made manifest. Because why? Why did that happen? How could that happen? Because it wasn't something that he did, but it was who he is. Jesus is love. God is love. It's part of his nature and character. And we can have fellowship and intimacy. We can experience that love. We can experience that love. And the busyness of life and all the details of your day and all the pressures around you, the challenges you're working through, I want you to know that Jesus has made the way for you to experience everlasting love, his joy and his intimacy and fellowship and his union with God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't, don't walk through life calling something Christianity yet never experiencing the everlasting love of Jesus Christ to his eternal life. That's not Christianity. You see, Christianity is about experiencing and walking daily in a love relationship with Jesus. You can both know his love and experience his love through fellowship with the Father. So I'm going to sum this up. All right, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to sum it up. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, we have eternal life. But more than just a revelation of knowledge of God through Jesus, we can experience Jesus as John experienced Jesus. So you and I can experience Jesus. We can experience his presence and his everlasting love. And we have eternal life and everlasting love and fellowship with God when we put our faith in Jesus. Not in a concept, not in a teaching, not in a theory, but in a person. A person who was real and lived in history, whom John himself said, we have heard and we have seen and we have touched. We have experienced. And this is life found in Jesus. You cannot dismiss the person of Jesus from the teaching of Jesus. Eternal life is not simply about believing in a teaching. It's about faith in a person, God in the flesh, and receiving and experiencing his eternal life and his everlasting love and forgiveness that makes fellowship with God, which was separated by sin, fellowship with God possible. And my prayer is, is that you will have confidence, confidence in this gift of eternal life found in Jesus, and that you will experience his eternal love. Let's bow our heads. Worship team, will you come? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just come before you right now and, 
Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, will you just speak to our hearts in this moment? Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts in this moment. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've thought about Christianity. Maybe you've thought about it as a teaching. Maybe you've thought about it as a concept or as a theory. But this morning, you just began to understand this idea of this, this relationship with Jesus. That, that eternal life is in Jesus. And, and you began to feel his love. I just, just sense that maybe there's someone here. Maybe somebody watching online. You've just, you just began to experience that. It's being made manifest to you. And today you say, I don't want to just put my faith in a concept or a teaching or a theory, I want to put my faith in the person. The man who is God in the flesh made manifest to us, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross and was resurrected so that I too might have confidence that I can have eternal life. If you want that confidence that you have eternal life and you today want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm just going to ask you to be bold and slip up your hand this morning. That's me. I just, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus today. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, that's what we do. Today, we just put our faith in you. Jesus, it's about you. It's about a relationship with you. There is no other. Lord, you saw those that raised their hands. Right now, we just pray. And we say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I put my faith in you. Thank you that you came and you gave your life so that I can be forgiven. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. My good works or the things I try to do, they, they don't take away my sin. But you do. And so Jesus, I come to you today and I ask you for your grace and your mercy and to forgive me of my sin today. And I say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I want to walk with you. And I want to experience your everlasting love. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.